are listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and we want to welcome you today to episode number 43, which is going to be a really crazy episode, because it's <laughs> Abigail's choice of album today, and she threw me a real curveball when she announced this one. Abigail, what are we listening to today? We are listening to an album that, as far as I can tell, is meant to be a children's album. <laughs> <laughs> which was not exactly clear when we purchased it. But the album is called Oktoberfest ist Wunderbar by Jimmy Horzen. And we found this album in a German market slash deli in Sanford, Florida, when we were there somewhat recently recording. And we did a Halloween album for our Halloween special last year. And I had a lot of fun with that, but I couldn't think of another Halloween album that meant as much to me as Halloween hits by Andrew Gold did. So I decided to take a shot in the dark and assign you this Oktoberfest album to dip our toes into the Oktoberfest spirit which is not something that I have had a chance to do in Germany. And I don't think you have either. So oh no, no. one day the Pops on Hops team will make it to Oktoberfest in Germany. But for now, you'll have to settle for a little bit of accordion music and some Oktoberfest beers from some of the original German breweries that brewed Oktoberfest beers. So I hope you're ready for the ride. I think it's going to be a funny one. <laughs> yeah. So as you implied, when I was tasked with trying to figure out what beer I wanted to bring to this episode, I thought, well, when we did the uh, leftovers episode last year, we brought stuff from different breweries. Maybe I should do that. So my first thought was to try to find Oktoberfest beers from places we'd been this year. But I realized that was going to be very difficult to do. About the same time that I was looking around, I get this notification from our old friends at Untapped. And they had written a blog post that was called Earn a New Celebrate Oktoberfest Badge with these 20 Best Marzins Slash Fest Beers of 2022. And so I started looking at this article and I learned a ton about Oktoberfest beers. And what I ended up doing was pulling three beers off of this list of 20 that came from the six original breweries at, near Munich that are the only breweries allowed to give an official Oktoberfest designation to a beer. So let me run you through a little bit of that. Some of the stuff I learned was really interesting. So what are the differences? There are these different classifications of beers. You hear Oktoberfest beer, you hear Fest beer, you hear Marzen. Mm -hmm. All of those terms get kind of lumped together. And here's basically how it breaks down. So any beer that's formally brewed by one of the six big Munich brewers and served on the Oktoberfest grounds is technically an Oktoberfest beer. And that's it. Wow. That's spelled with a K, which is really important because... Because it doesn't take place in October. Yes. The other thing we learned about Oktoberfest is it ends the first weekend in October. It ends by the 3rd, 4th, or 5th of October, oddly enough. Yeah. <laughs> so when you go buy an Oktoberfest beer in the United States, you're going to see some things that the United States breweries do that kind of joke around with it. They'll spell it with a C. Mm. There's a couple that call themselves Oktoberfest because they're barrel aged. And you'll see other fest beers and Marzins that get those designations. And that's fine. But the technical term Oktoberfest with a K, only six breweries are allowed to do that. Wow. And those six breweries are, according to European Union regulations, 
and bear with me as I try to pronounce these things. <laughs> Despite my German surname, I have no clue. But Augustiner Brau Munch, also known as Augustiner, Hacker Schur, Hofbrau, Lowenbrau, Polaner, and Spotten Francis Connor Brau, shortened to Spotten. So those are the six breweries that are allowed to name a beer officially an Oktoberfest beer. We are going to be trying beer from two of those three breweries today. Mm -hmm. The Polaner Oktoberfest Marzen and Hacker Shores Oktoberfest Marzen. The other one we have is also a German beer from a different brewery, Stefaner. I am hoping I'm saying that correct also. It's their fest beer, and it was on the list. So we grabbed it because it happened to be on the list. So we are only drinking German beers today. Two of them designated, as you noticed, Oktoberfest because they can officially call themselves that. And the third one had to be designated a fest beer because it's not allowed to call itself an Oktoberfest. So did you do any reading on why Marzen comes into the picture? Yes. So we have the official Oktoberfest, which we already talked about. Then you have Marzen. Those are German amber lagers that are typically anywhere from chestnut to russet in color. They were first brewed by Spaten in Germany. And in America, this is the most common style of what we've come to call Oktoberfest or Oktoberfest style beers. So you're going to see a lot of beers in the United States that are called Marzen. Then the other category is Fest beer. That's a strong golden German lager that's similar to a Hell's. That was first pioneered by Paul Anner. And today in Germany, Fest beers are the official beers of Oktoberfest. Then the other thing you'll see is Oktoberfest style beers. So again, these fall under the style of Marzen. They're brewed outside the city limits of Munich. So again, if you're inside the city limits at those six breweries, you can call yourself an Oktoberfest beer. If not, you have to call yourself a Marzen. It's like champagne, right? It's exactly the same thing. Everything outside of the French region of champagne can only be called sparkling wine. The European Union sets a lot of those rules, I think. And here in the United States, lots of things call themselves champagne that are made domestically and kind of don't play by that same set of rules, just like with Oktoberfest beers, because here in the United States, right. you'll see a lot of Oktoberfest style beers, which are most likely Amber Marzins. So that's the story on the beers that we will be trying today. What I was trying to get at with the Marzin question was, do you know what the word Marzin means? Do you know why they're called Marzins? I didn't look that up. So Marzen is the German word for March. And that's because Marzins are brewed in March. And these beers undergo a long lagering process. So they are brewed in March and they are ready to drink by September and early October. And originally, Oktoberfest was to celebrate, it was either the birthday or the wedding of a noble, essentially, a royal person in the Munich region. And they brewed a bunch of beer <laughs> in March of that year, knowing that this guy's birthday or wedding or maybe coronation, I can't remember exactly, was going to happen in September. And so they brewed all this beer for that. And that's the origin origin of Oktoberfest. It was a wedding, actually, Abigail. It was it was uh, a wedding. King Ludwig, who was being married to a Princess Therese of Saxe Hildberghausen, which I assume means <laughs> Okay, Saxe Hildberghausen. <laughs> the House of Hildberg, I guess. <laughs> they were being married on October the twelfth, eighteen ten, and all of the citizens of Munich were invited to attend the festivities. They were actually held on a field in front of the gates of the palace. And those fields are currently still the fields where this takes place. It was originally called a Theresienweiss, which means Teresa's Meadow in honor of the princess. Aww. And now they still 
have the festival at this park. So initially it was not a public festival. They did it on the anniversary of that wedding each year. And over time, they started to add show elements to it. I think there might have been horse racing at one point, but they started to add carnival kind of events to it as well. And in 1832, it was moved back a little earlier so that it takes place to end, like I said, before the first weekend in October. So while I celebrate Oktoberfest for the entire month with a combination of Oktoberfest beers and pumpkin beers, they're done in Germany by like the 5th of October every year. Yeah. One more interesting piece of history, it, it took a very important turn because when the Berlin Wall fell in early October of that year, that became a very important date for reunification. And the last weekend of it is a reunification celebration as well from the reunification of East and West Germany and East and West Berlin. So the festival leading up to that has taken on new significance in the aftermath of that event. Sure. Well, I'm going to suggest we open the first beer. Now, I have gone on the list from Untapped and found the placement of these beers. I think we should drink them in reverse order in how they were rated on the list. That sounds great to me. And the 20th of the 20 is the Weihensteffener Fest beer, which I will say one more time was not an official Oktoberfest beer. It's not one of the six breweries, but it was on the list and it is a German brewery. So I thought, fair enough, right? And more importantly, we both had it in stock at our local Total Wine. <laughs> I guess we do need to explain that in getting the beers for this, we both went to our local Total Wines while on the phone and compared notes from this list as to what was available in both locations. And it took us a really long time it to did. find these three beers. And I got a lot of weird looks and we should have recorded it because it was kind of a silly exercise. It was pretty funny. But we have fun. We have fun. Well, we were also supposed to have a guest join us, my buddy Mike Franz, whose family's from Germany. In fact, his parents immigrated from Germany. So Mike's a first-generation German-American, and he was going to join us for this. And so I was also shopping to make sure we had enough bottles so that I get him the same beer. And unfortunately, he lives in the St. Pete area where they had a brush with Hurricane Ian. They did very well, but he had family that lived south of him who did have some problems with their homes. And so he's completely crushed with family in the house and other things related to the hurricane. And so I thought it was probably best if I didn't yeah. bother him with trying to join us for this. So of course, that was another added wrinkle in trying to buy the beer. So for those of you, because this is an audio medium, for those of you who can't see, I am opening my beer with my proprietary two of a kind Pops on Hops bottle opener. And I will be drinking out of Das Boot. This is from Swampheads drive through Oktoberfest in 2020. So in 2020, oh, wow. even in October, their COVID regulations were quite stringent, which we are thankful for and respect them entirely for. And so they did a drive through Oktoberfest. So that is where my DOS boot is from. That's funny. Now I am pouring my delicious looking beer into my patented Red Lion mug. With your name on it. With my name and a number. So long story, I'll try to make it brief. When I was a uh, medical student in Gainesville, I think mostly my senior year, we discovered this bar had reopened called the Red Lion. It had been open years ago and had been shuttered for a while. It was very close to where I lived. And as fourth year medical students, we discovered this place and it became our favorite hangout. And as a result of that, when they restarted the Mug Club. Ah, the Mug Club. They started with the 400 series because all the original numbers were up there. And they just, just said, we're going to have a new set. We're going to start with number 400. Number 400 through like 403 went to the staff. 
from 404 on, the next six mugs were me and my best friend. Oh, from wow. So I have number 408. And we were there for that year. And then we all left near the end. We were having, we went in there for bratwurst like a million times. And we were in there having bratwurst together. It was the last night all six of us were going to be in town. We went over there for dinner. Can you imagine the red line? That's where, where we chose to go to dinner. <laughs> The six of us. And the owner was there and he was actually quite sad that the team was breaking up. And so he gave us our mugs to take with us Aww, when we left, we left town. Nice. And, I, and so I'm drinking from my Red Lion mug. So let's have a little sip of the Weihenstefaner Fest beer. Yum. They are what they are, right? They're sweet, multi light beers. Yeah. They're easy to drink. I'd be shocked if there's a lot of variation really in any of these that we have today. That's one I would drink again. So at least going to give it a three and a half. I tend to think of Festbeers or Marzins. You did sort of touch on the differences between them. This is a lighter one. I tend to think of yes. them as a little more amber in color. That was the difference in the description I read, Abigail, was that the Fest beers are a little more golden in color yeah. and the Marzins are a little more amber in color. That was the key distinction. So the malt is not as toasty. Right. But I don't mind it. It's certainly easy to drink. <laughs> I will have no trouble drinking my entire Das Boot. I like German beer. I happen to like basic, light German beer. It's good stuff. When you need a pint, this is a good thing to go for. Do you ever really need a pint? No, 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 you're right. <laughs> but like sometimes you're in the mood for a beer and you don't want to have a craft beer that's sour or barrel aged. You know, like sometimes you just need a basic pint and this is a good one yeah it's sort of like when you go for sushi and you're drinking a light yeah. japanese lager you don't need anything with a, lot or with of a burger in. it's been a long time since you ate a hamburger because you're a pescatarian but with a burger you don't want a craft beer with a burger <laughs> you know it's funny you said that i went to tucker dukes which is a local burger joint last weekend and i had an impossible burger or no i had a veggie burger actually i had a veggie vegan burger on the menu which was very good and i had it with a pumpkin beer from pennsylvania and a Oktoberfest beer from somewhere locally. So oh, wow. these were the two beers I had with my hamburger that I had just last weekend. So nice. don't make assumptions. <laughs> so we found this album, obviously in the town of Sanford, by this artist named Jimmy Horzen. Did you dig up any information on Jimmy Horzen? Because I found a couple of interesting tidbits. I did. So there was a, a website on the book jacket of the album, polkas.nl. And hidden deep within that website, there was a little biography of Jimmy Horzen. He's from California originally, and he started playing the accordion at the age of six. His family's of Slovenian heritage, not German, but he started taking accordion lessons at the age of six. And at the age of eight, he appeared on television with Frankie Yankovic, who is no was known as America's Polka King. Now, we have reviewed on this podcast another Yankovic who is an accordion prodigy, but they are of no relation. I did look that up. They are of no relation. And that would be Weird Al Yankovic. It's funny, right? So he moved to Florida at some point. He worked as a staff musician at Disney World for 19 years in the German Pavilion at Epcot. So we had touched upon this, I believe, in our last episode with your brother, Uncle Derek, and you had an experience at the German Pavilion in Epcot where your best friend and friend of the pod, Steve Moore, was called up on stage to conduct the musicians. 
Jimmy Horzen may have been one of them. He was there for 19 years. I also, when I was a child, was called up on stage to conduct the musicians at the German Pavilion at Upcott. Jimmy Horzen may have been on stage. We don't know. He was there for 19 years. So kind of a random and strange connection, but it does explain why his album was in a random German deli in Sanford, Florida. He's kind of a local. So he moved there near the beginning of Epcot opening, if I remember the years that I saw somewhere. So either 82 or 83. So his 19 years would have covered when I was there. And I actually went and looked through a photo album. I have photos of this. I am going to put up on our special popsonhopspod.com website of Uncle Steve on stage with the band. I have stared at the picture of the accordion player in those photos. I don't think it's Jimmy Horzen. It's hard to know, right? Because he was obviously way younger than he is now, right. but I think it's a different guy. I can't imagine he played every show at Epcot for the, you know, the entire duration of his life. We were there in December of 1983 between Christmas and New Year's when we were in college. We made a road trip and the, the four of us were here. It was me, Uncle Steve, your Uncle Derek, who was in the last episode with us, and my friend Joe Reiser, who of all of us is probably the most German of the bunch. <laughs> he, I mean, he is authentic German-American, lived in Philadelphia and really identifies as German. Despite our surname, I don't really identify as German. You know, my mom's family were all Italian, so I have always called myself half Italian. And on my dad's side, I'm kind of a mutt of a lot of different families that immigrated to South Jersey, even back in colonial American times. But I'm going to tell you the shortest story I can about my German roots. So my great, 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 great grandfather, Johann George Hummel. Oh, wow. Johann. Came with his parents, his father's Casper Hummel, to Philadelphia in 1804. He was five years old at the time when they emigrated to Philly. Wow. And they lived in Philly until he moved his family, Johann George, I'm talking about now, moved his family to South Jersey in 1832. So my great, great, great grandfather, Edward Eastburn Hummel, was born in South Jersey. And he was the 11th of 12 children. Woohoo! <laughs> this reason I know this is because I went back to a point where I got lost and found this guy who was lost at my great, great, great grandfather. And we connected the dots. Wow. And I can trace my family lineage into the 1500s in Stuttgart, Germany. And I get asked frequently about the last name, Hummel, are you related you know, to you know, the figurines? And I am. I am like a 15th cousin once removed from the nun who designed those Hummel figurines as we know them today. Now, I see no royalties. Otherwise, the Pops on Hops podcast budget would look a lot different. Wow. But anyway, from Edward Eastburn Hummel, the Hummel name came all the way down to my father with one single male child born in each generation. So Edward's son was John Bonham Hummel, only son. He had an only son, Earl Edmund Hummel, who had an only son, Earl Edmund Hummel Jr. Because when your name's Earl, you got to double that, got to double that up with a junior. We need more Earls in the world for sure. We do need more Earls in the world. So Earl Jr. was my grandfather. He had one son, Barry Sr. And of course, when you got a great name, you got to juniorize that. So I'm Barry <laughs> Hummel Jr. And I have a brother. That was the first generation that had two male born children. And so we have a chance of the name carrying on. It's going to be limited, right? We've got Zach, who doesn't seem interested in having any Hummels. <laughs> uh, his cousin, Derek, who has a daughter so far. A daughter, so yeah. Will the name survive another generation? Uh, it's going to be dicey. If it does, it's going to be through probably a single born male, right? Well, I mean, there are certainly other Hummels running around. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are plenty of descendants from... Just not in our direct lineage. A bunch of the next generation moved because at that time it was westward expansion. Some of them moved to Ohio when there were land grants and, and moved west. We, as the Hummels in South Jersey, were the only ones still there. And it was very hard for me to do that genealogy for a long time. For better or for worse. I'm not saying it's a good <laughs> or a bad thing. But it was interesting that until I figured out there were these this other group of 11 siblings from my great, great, great grandfather who had all kind of left the area. But my county, we were pretty much it. And it was so weird to find out that they had been such a big part of the farming community in the middle 1800s. In fact, there is a Hummel Road out in Marlboro. And I have been to the Marlboro Church once I discovered all this and have seen a lot of the tombstones, including Johann George Hummel, who was five when he came to Philadelphia. So wow. we do have some German roots. It's not like I paid a lot of attention to it, but it was a good exercise to go through this when you suggested the album, because I started pulling all these little threads together. It was fun to go back and dig that stuff up. So, But you did allude to the fact that our last name, Hummel, is... German. And it's a word in German. It means bumblebee. It means bumblebee. And if you look at the coat of arms, it has bumblebees in it. I wear a bumblebee necklace. My primary work bag has a bumblebee on it. I am very pro bumblebee. So that's a cool little connection. The last thing I want to talk about before we jump into this is you alluded to it. It is accordion music. Yes. Of that, there is no doubt. And so I got curious because we had looked into the harmonica one time while we were working on an episode. So I actually went back and did a little homework on the accordion. And there's a couple of videos I'm going to put up also on the webpage about how they're built. And I found one where this uh, woman from somewhere in the Balkans was uh, walking you through how it worked. It was called How Does an Accordion Work? She taught me very little about how it worked. But it was really interesting to watch her play. It's two connected boxes that have reeds in it. So oh. they're connected with the bellows, as you know, and the airflow is what makes the music. It pushes the air over these reeds. So it's a woodwind instrument. It's basically kind of a woodwind where you're not using your breath. You're using the air from the bellows. And the way they're designed today, the left hand controls buttons and those buttons each represent a chord. So when you push a button, multiple reeds play at the same time. Mm. And on the right-hand side, which in most of them now looks like a standard keyboard, it's an individual note. Huh. So you tend to play the melody with the right hand and you play chords. It's not like you're doing a rhythm section on the left, but you're playing supportive chords. So you really do get two different sounds being played simultaneously, supportive chords and individual melodic notes on the right. Wow. So the accordion's basic form was believed to have been invented in Berlin in 1822 by Christian Frederick Ludwig Bushman. And then, for whatever reason, it became very popular in Russia. And so a lot of the production of the instruments took place in Russia in the early 1800s. It really settles into music in Germany, Latvia, Slovenia, Austria. That's where a lot of the music was produced. And of course, as those people immigrated to the United States, the instruments came with them. Although they, I don't feel like they really settled into many of the standard musical forms in the United States. I think when you hear accordions in the United States, you think more of ethnic music. So you would think of polkas. For sure. We talked about it in African music, Zydeco music in Louisiana. So it's used 
in specific musical forms in the United States. It's not a traditional element of music in the United States. So an old, old instrument. Yeah. One of the clips I'm going to put up shows how they build them. It is incredibly complicated. It's all hand done. Wow. Each reed has to be tuned when they put it together. So they test it on a kind of a half bellows and the guy files the reeds until he gets the note that he wants out of each individual one. And then once it's all constructed, they go through one more tuning process because once it's tuned, it's it. Once it's completely sealed up, it is what it is. So we're going to listen to a lot of accordion music over the next uh, <laughs> hour or so. I thought, well, let me learn a little bit more about it. So pretty fascinating stuff, actually. Yeah, I think of accordions like, I don't know. Have you ever seen those videos of one man bands? I can't tell you a specific example, but I feel like I've seen media where someone invents a costume for themselves where they can bang a drum with a foot mechanism, but they always have an accordion. And that makes sense to me because if you're able to play chords and individual notes at the same time, you really can be a one-man band just with an accordion. Yeah, you're playing for sure two individual musical lines. I, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or not, but we've talked about some guitar players who are really good at playing and James Taylor is a great example of this. He could play a melody line and a bass line simultaneously on the instrument, which is fascinating to watch and to listen to when it gets pointed out to you. And this is sort of like that. It's not a bass line. Like I said before, it's a different musical line, but it is in comparison to what's being played melodically on the with the right hand. So you might want to listen for some of that as you listen to some of the songs we're going to play. Yeah. Now, the album itself... First of all, I really like the album. I can tell you I'm going to be playing this every October. I thought it was really fun. <laughs> it is fun. I didn't think of it so much as a children's album. There's some, a lot of instrumentals. There's a lot of German lyrics. We're not going to have great discussions about lyrics today because I had a very hard time trying to figure out even what the origins of some of the songs are. They seem so historic or so, what's the word, uh, public domain. Yeah. You know, there's several on here that are called waltzes. I couldn't find the origins of it. Some of the beer hall drinking songs had some story to them. So I have some limited notes on the individual tracks as we go through it. But as a collection, it's just fun to listen to. Not something I know we would dedicate a whole episode to German beer hall accordion music. It is <laughs> but this fun. is the Pops on Hops podcast. And that's right. You never know what you're gonna get here. <laughs> that's right. No form of music is safe. This is Pops on Hops, where, where no one, one is safe. safe. We'll review everything and anything. It's also hilarious to me that this is our second accordion-heavy album well, after the Weird Al one. <laughs> yeah. It looks to me like we do a novelty episode about every six months, so we're back on track. Well, that's because we need a brain break every six months, don't you think? Well, you would say that we this We do would so be much easier. deep analysis of all these albums. Especially you, Mr. Lyric Man. Listen, I did more research on this album than I do on most albums. Because this <laughs> well, was that's because like, it's, yeah, yeah, it's very obscure. <laughs> yeah, bench research, right? And I was thinking about it in the most ideal world, we would have been able to somehow do this. This guy lives, works with a musical partner, plays in this restaurant in Sanford weekly. And I just want to put a pin in this because I think next year we ought to just oh, go yeah. up there and do it live at the show and interview the for guy. Sure. He made a career out of playing this style of music at Epcot, for goodness sake, which I find yeah. fascinating, utterly fascinating. And the fact that we may have crossed paths is so weird to me. Yeah. Mr. Horzen, you're not safe either. We're coming back for you next year, sir. So I guess I'm driving the train on the songs today since you suggested the album. Am I right? You are. But I would somehow like to time it so that we 
try our next beer after track four. Okay, I will do that. So let's open up with track number one. And again, please forgive me for butchering all the pronunciations of the German words, despite my Hummel surname. And track number one is Oberkrainer Especial. It's an instrumental, so I don't even have German lyrics to work with here. Couldn't even run them through right. a translator, but I have a name. So I went and tried to figure out what this meant. And it looks like there's a region called the Upper Carniola, and it's an area in the center of Slovenia, and it's named differently based on the language. So it's called Gorinjaska, I believe, in Slovenia. But in German, it's called Oberkrain. Huh. And the K-R-A-I-N is, think, Ukraine. Yeah. So we're in that region of the world. And this is the place where Slovenian or Accordion music started. Oh. I shouldn't say it was started. It was popularized. There was a guy by the name of Slavko Avsenik, who was born in 1929. He was a composer and a musician. And he formed a group in 1953 called the Avsenic Brothers Ensemble. And they produced like a thousand songs in this style of music, what they call the Oberkrainer sound. And this is exactly what that sounds like. And it spawned hundreds of Alpine orchestras in the process who play in this style. Basically, that's why when you were talking about Yankovic and you were also talking about Jimmy Horzen of Slovenian descent. Yeah. That's why this was the hotbed of this style of music. Wow. In the early part of the 20th century. And this is my third favorite song on the album. Nice. It's weird to say this, but I think this is a lovely thesis statement for the album. Um, it is. <laughs> we definitely get some slower songs later in the album the waltzes in particular are a little slower but this is bouncy it's fun it doesn't need words it's nice and short all of the songs on this album are quite short i think there's only one that's more than three minutes i think that's the perfect amount of time for an accordion song <laughs> i don't know that i need five six minutes of accordion but when you're done with this one you go right to the next accordion song so i don't know what i you know mean by but, that. They're, but they're all a little <laughs> different some of them have lyrics i think this is just the perfect length it's just a fun drinking song i mean that's all it is and it is one of the more upbeat instrumentals on the album. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I do enjoy this. It did not make my top three, but I think it's a very good choice as your third favorite. It's because there was a couple standouts for me, and then there was a lot in the middle. You know, how am I going to pick between three waltzes? What's my favorite waltz? They're all very similar, right. you know what I mean? This one was so <laughs> bouncy, so upbeat. 
and so in your face. I think the thing that really drew me to it was it was my first taste of the album. Yeah. And that stuck with me as I played it over and over and over again. It kept jumping out at me because it was such a great kickstart to the album. Yeah. And again, it's hard to like everything on here is roughly similar. My one and two were really obvious. I had a hard time picking a least favorite and I could have picked anything else in the three slot, but this one, you know, you just smile the minute it starts. Yeah. It makes me feel happy. It does. So that's track one. Track number two in the German is Im Himmel gibt's kein Beer. But in English, it's better known as In Heaven, There Is No Beer. In Heaven, There Is No Beer drink it here and when we're gone from here our friends will be drinking all the beer la 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 This is the only song on the album where we get English lyrics. That's not why I picked this as my favorite song on the album, mm. but maybe it is because I understood <laughs> what the song was and I love the gag, yes. right? In heaven, there is no beer. That's why we drink it here. And I thought that was really funny. So this is my favorite song on the album. Structurally, I like it. Little verse and then little instrumental thing. Do the verse in English, come back to the instrumental thing. Short to the point. It's only, I think it's not even three minutes long. They sing it once in German, they sing it once in English, and we're moving on to the next track. But yeah, this is my favorite song on the album. I agree. This is my favorite song as well. And I think of it less as an endorsement of drinking beer and less as a reason why we should not go to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be in a heaven where there's no beer. Are you kidding me? I think the fact that there's no beer in heaven tells you there is no heaven. It's not heaven. If there's no beer, we can't even call it that. In fact, I would say that's hell. That is hell. No, I agree. I think this is a really fun song. It's one of the only ones I can sing along to because of the English verse. And that, I think, definitely impacted my choice of it being number one. But I'm with you. I think it's just kind of a very tongue-in-cheek, funny little song. This is clearly not a children's song, but... Whatever. Children drink beer in Germany, right? (laughs) I don't know about that. I will tell you that it kind of teased me because when they bounce back and forth between German and English in this song, I thought that was going to happen the whole album. Mm. And then it never happens again. Yeah. To all the fans, be ready. There's no more English. Yeah, there's no more English. (laughs) We're getting a lot of German later. Yes. But in the best possible way. (laughs) And I did find some translations for some of the songs. So there is a little history of this song. This is actually a fairly modern song. I think some of these on here are so old, it's impossible to figure out where they came from. But this song was actually written in 1956. Oh, wow. The lyrics were written by someone named Ernst Neubach. Ralph Maria Siegel premiered the song in, like I said, 1956 in a film, a German film, called Die Fischerin vom Bandensee. And do you have a translation for that? I don't, but 
It says here that Dick Baker translated the German drinking song into English, but it's disputed whether Joe Trolley and someone, again, named Frankie Yankovic also participated in the translation. That's the Frankie Yankovic. Yeah. That's the guy that is the American king of polka, king of American polka. Exactly. That's the guy that Jimmy Horzen was on TV with at the age of eight as a, you know, accordion prodigy. So that's pretty fun that he assisted with the translation. Just going through the genealogy of the song, you can see there's probably very few people involved in this world <laughs> can you imagine german accordion drinking music yeah i would say that's pretty niche <laughs> but now we're getting it on the action <laughs> that's right that takes us to track three which is called in munchen ein hofbrau house or something like that So this one fascinated me because I was able to find an English translation of this. Ah. So the song in English is in Munich, there stands a Hofbrau house, which is basically, <laughs> you know, a beer house. Right. And the part I played, the lyrics translate thusly. In Munich, there stands a Hofbrau house. One, two, chug it. <laughs> so many barrels, they go dry. One, two, chug it oh my god as they have for many a good man one two chug it and then continuing with the part that i played he has shown what he can take he started early in the morning and he came out late in the evening it's so splendid in the hofbrau house oh so splendid in the hofbrau house oh my god so to call this a children's album abigail is just silly I know, but we get the chicken dance later, Dad. Oh, there's a story there, too. Oh. Oh, you didn't do the bench research. No, I didn't. But I thought it was pretty funny. So you're in Einzwein's Goof... Uh, I can't say Einzwein. Goofska, something like that, is one, Goofska. two, chug. Goofska. It's <laughs> That's spelled, hilarious. It's spelled G apostrophe S-U-F-F-A. So I challenge you to say that word. Gazoos, gazoos. Play it again. Sounds like Zufa. Zufa. The G must be silent. Well done. Zufa. I got to chug this because you want to move on to the next beer for the next song, right? Oh, I do. Yeah, we do. We do have to Zufa. So I would like to offer a word of warning for anyone who has a boot that they would like to drink out of. The beer gets caught in the toe and it's very <laughs> difficult to drink. And the beer splashes when it like when you tilt it and it comes out of the toe, it will splash up onto you. So just drink with caution when you're drinking out of a boot. Thank you for that public service announcement. You know, <laughs> I have a picture I'll have to dig up. It was an early trip to Las Vegas when we went to meet your grandmother. This is when we lived in Los Angeles. Zach was an infant, you were, so you would have been like three plus. And I have a shot of us down on Fremont Street. And I went to get a beer. 
and they were selling beer in a giant boot, like a 40-ounce boot. Oh, jeez. I bought it as a gag. I'm not sure I finished the boot. I'm sure that thrilled mom. Yeah. It's Vegas. It gets warm. You can't. That's some tasteless lager. Tasteless American lager. Let me take that back. Anyway, long story short, I use that boot forever to hold change. <laughs> oh, I have vivid memories of that. I would throw coins in there. And then once it was full, I would take them and cash the coins. in. But I have a picture of me with you guys in a stroller, I think, holding that boot. So I will dig that up now that you brought up the boot. That's funny. And I'm trying to remember if I struggled with the toes. I don't think I did because I don't think I finished it. I think I just dumped it out eventually because it was just too hot. And it is possible that this toe just might be a little too narrow. Well, it's a lady's boot. I mean, look at it. Got a high heel. I mean, it looks silly. It just doesn't have a high heel. That's a very normal heel. All right. We need to open the next beer, I believe. We're going to move on to the Hacker Shore October Marzen, which is the number, let's see, the rating on that on the untapped list was this came in at number 15. And we should say this is a beer that is an official. This is official. Designated Oktoberfest beer from Munich, Germany. One of the six. I want to be the girl on the Hackershore label for Halloween. Where are you going to get a horse? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm pouring the beer so that we can play track four before we sit, right? Back into the boot I go. Did you see my suspenders, by the way? Yes, I did. I saw your shirt, too. Oh, yeah, the whole beer house. Hummel Hofbrei house. <laughs> These are the suspenders. We bought the same market. So we poured the Hackershore. This is... A much more recognizable color to me. Yeah, it's an amber for sure. Looking good. Can't wait to try it. But before we try it. We must play track number four. And what is that called, Dad? It's the classic, Ein Prosit. Prost. Prost. Oh, by the way, we didn't rate the last beer. Oh, describe this and go back and rate it. We'll we'll figure it out. Okay. So first of all, on this one, obviously maltier, and you could definitely get the roastier quality to it, I think, on this one. Right? A little bit drier. Yeah, definitely drier. I'm not enjoying this one as much, honestly. I, the other one was sweeter, for sure. I mean, this one is maltier as in breadier, but not maltier as in sweeter. It starts slightly sweet, and then it converts over to dry. Yeah. But this is a fuller-bodied beer. Yeah. Right? It's a little bit heavier beer, which you would expect because it is a little bit darker beer. This one will keep you warm on a fall night in cold Germany. <laughs> You're imagining that. But anyway, I'm going to go back though and rate the last one, which we failed to rate. And I'm going to go with a 3.5 on the Weihenstefaner Fest beer. I think I will go also with a 3.5 on the wine. I've always said it, Weihenstefaner. I don't know. I'm partially German and I don't know. I know. I did enjoy the experience of drinking it. And I liked the sweetness. I liked that it was lighter in color. And gosh darn, was I able to drink a whole boot of that with no trouble. So very easy to drink. I forgot your three and a half is a little bit up a higher rating than my three and a half. Yes. 
I would drink that beer again in the right circumstances, right? Like we talked about before. Yeah. I'm having food. I got a light lager or something. So of the two, for me, the one we just opened is slightly better. Is it a quarter point better? Probably not. But we'll talk about that when we get to it. Yeah. And I think at least for now, it could change as the beer warms up in my glass a little bit. But I think I enjoyed the wine Stefaner just marginally more. Not a quarter of a point more probably, but we'll see. Yeah, I think the range is going to be pretty tight on these beers today. But there's definitely differences. Uh, yeah. There's definitely differences. And remember, Untapped thought this was a better beer than the last one. Indeed. And it is one of the original breweries. So that's, I mean, there's something to say for that. That's right. If we ever get to Munich, to that park, we will be drinking this. Uh, so a little bit of history on this song. Obviously, this is regularly played at any Bavarian beer tent. So if this is not played, you're not in a Bavarian beer tent. <laughs> so what does it mean in English, basically? Prosit is the conjunctive of the Latin word prodes and means may it be beneficial or roughly be well. And that's the origin of the German word prost. So prosit is sort of the predecessor to prost. Got it. So it's kind of like a blessing for your health. Yes, I'm, I'm not done. Let me explain. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. The title of this is Ein Prosit der Gemütlichkeit. Did I say that right? I'm not even close, right? I don't know. Play the track one more time so you can hear the actual pronunciation, because I'm just the butcher here today. <laughs> so I just heard it, and I'm still not going to be able to say it. <laughs> der Gemütlichkeit. Oh, my God. I <laughs> ah, forget it. Anyway, that word, do they say, depicts a state of well-being, warmth, or friendliness. So altogether, that phrase, ein prosit der gumlich, like, uh, whatever, meaning something like a toast to well-being. How beautiful. So we heard the shortest version of this you could hear, right? Very often, this is followed with a simple toast. Or sometimes they'll go, ein schwein drein sufa. Sufa! Which means one, two, three. They say drink. They don't say chug it. Chug it. And then sometimes the singer may add an actual toast. So if it's at a wedding or a, some event, this is the toasting song. It's my least favorite on the album because it's so short. I had to pick one. So I picked this one. I do like the fact that they did the toast on the recording. Yeah. <laughs> and you can hear the glasses clink. I thought that was cool. But I put it in the bottom just because it's, what, 40 seconds and half of it's them clinking glasses and yelling at me. So that's my least favorite. I think that's a cheeky choice for least favorite. Well, that's too bad because that's my choice. I enjoyed it. I think it was very cool that they included that on there. I think we could talk about sequencing. Is this the best spot for it on the album? I don't know. But in the last song, we just learned about Eins Zwei Sufa. So it's cool that to have a little comeback of that. And we learned an additional German number, Drei. So now we have Eins, Zwei, Drei, which wasn't in the last song. Yeah, we only got to two before we drank in the last song. We were in a big rush. <laughs> this is later in the day. This is when you need to slow down a little bit. You got to get to Drei before you drink. So yeah, at this point, I'm very much enjoying our little German education. I think it's really nice to have a toast in an album. And I would like to offer you a toast, Dad. Oh my God, really? To your health. And to many, many, many more episodes. Oh, my goodness. If we can only hire an editor. Proust. Proust. Franz would have yelled that 80 times today if he was with us. Now, Franz, you name dropped him earlier in the episode and he's appeared on the podcast before. But I'm not sure our listeners know that 
Mike Franz's father, is the very man who inducted you into the cult of the uh um Fruge Hoppen? Yeah, I couldn't I blanked. I couldn't remember the name. Fruge Hoppen. That may potentially be the only German word I pronounce correctly because I had source material. George Franz. And Frischhoppen, famously, is a beer before noon. It just means early beer, I think, or something. Mike joined us on the uh, album review of Midnight Oil's Diesel and Dust because I saw that band with him many, many years ago on a weekend trip to his father and mother's home. And that is where you had your first, well, not your first Frischhoppen, I'm going to assume, but maybe the identified. first Frischhoppen that you had a name for. <laughs> identified as a Frischhoppen, that's right. We love a Frischhoppen. We are pro Frischhoppen on this podcast. This is kind of a Frischhoppen today, almost. Yeah, almost. It's pretty early. I haven't eaten my breakfast, so. Let's go on the record and say it's late. <laughs> you just didn't eat your breakfast. <laughs> I have a bagel with locks. Waiting yes, for but me. it was on the other side of lunchtime, at least. Yes, very true. It's a brunch bagel. That takes us to track five. So there's a couple of things on here. I'll either call them polkas or waltzes or whatever that are standard tracks that I had a hard time finding information on. I have no information on this one. It's called Lustig Harmonica Polka. This is my number four. This was on the cusp. The other one edged it out a little bit. What I like about it is that weird break where it goes to the wah, 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 wah. Is that a tuba? It's got to be a big horn. I don't know if it's necessarily a tuba. It could be. What's the other one that's close to a tuba? Um, Not a bassoon. Bassoon plays low like that, but that's not what I'm thinking of. Let me look up brass instruments. <laughs> Can I phone a friend? I'll call Nick Martino and see what he's got in his uh, portfolio. I was thinking of... you might call Zach since he um... <laughs> famously played, <laughs> he the, played tuba. the tuba. <laughs> yes, I have footage of Zach playing tuba. They played at the Christmas parade in Coral Springs one year. I had to go buy battery-operated Hanukkah lights so he could string them around his tuba. That's funny. Are you referring to the euphonium by chance? I could be. The one problem with this album is that my friend Jimmy Horson. Oh, your pal, yeah. My pal. She should be with us because there's no liner notes in this album. I bought a physical CD and I've got no information in the disc. This is the back of the page. Yeah. It's very sparse. So there's also the sousaphone. Sousaphone is what I'm thinking of. Okay, well, so Zach played the sousaphone, right? Or no, Zach played the tuba. He played the tuba. The sousaphone is the marching version of the tuba. So it's essentially the same as the tuba, but it's a little different. Except when he marched, he had the tuba. Did he march? Only in this Christmas parade that I'm thinking of, where I had to go buy these lights, right? Right. He was not in marching band. He was in band band. So he would have played the tuba. Right. He played the official tuba. Now, I don't know which instrument we heard. A big deep horn. 
<laughs> which is the reason I like this song. But I don't have any notes on this. I dug deep. I couldn't find any information about this song. It's the Lustig harmonica polka. I'm thinking, okay, Lustig means something. Who I, is he? I couldn't find any information. So I'm lacking notes on this one. But I did like this. I did put it in the fourth slot because of that weird break to the deep, deep horn. Yeah, I did enjoy hearing a different instrument. But this was not in my top three. Two of my top three had lyrics in them. And the third was not this one. That's the clue. (laughs) But I did enjoy hearing the other instrument. I think that is a very cool touch. I don't know who played that other instrument, whether it was Jimmy or someone else, because we don't have liner notes. But I really appreciated that he either brought in another person or brought in another instrument just for a little bit of variety. I think that was very cool. I do have musicians listed on here. So Jimmy Horzen plays the accordion, the button box, and does vocals. The what now? The button box. Is it like a German spelling? No, it's just button box. That's true. Accordions do have a button box. Right. But the original accordions before the modern version with the keyboard, it was button boxes on both sides. Mm. So button box might be referring to the fact that you're playing both halves of that with buttons instead of just Mm. one half of that with buttons. I don't know. I'm making a guess. Well, there is. I did find a button box repair shop for accordions and concertinas. It's in Amherst, Massachusetts. Listen to this. I'm sorry. I find this interesting. What we do repair concertinas. English, Anglo, and duet with at least 22 buttons. Okay? They have to have at least 22 buttons. 21 buttons? (laughs) Sorry, you're out of luck. You're out of luck. Button accordions with one, two, or three rows of treble buttons. Chromatic button accordions, 72 bass or smaller. And piano accordions, 72 bass or smaller. What we do not repair. Bandoneons. How dare you even bring a bandoneon to this repair shop? Hemnitzer concertinas, melodicas, harmonicas, harmoniums, and 20-button concertinas. Why is that a cutoff? I have no idea. Where's this at? Amherst, Massachusetts. Do we need to make a pilgrimage? No, but I may be able to send a correspondent if you're interested. Oh, no. The Button Box continues to offer professional repair services for accordions and concertinas after closing the retail store in 2022. Chief Technician Bob Snope has set up shop in his home in Amherst, Massachusetts. I know somebody who repairs trumpets. So I have a correspondent who can go. Is that Nick Martino? And talk. Yes, it is Nick Martino. And can talk repairman to repairman to this guy if we're interested. Is he in Massachusetts? He lives in Massachusetts. Oh, my God. We need a Snope Martino collaboration. All right. I will work on setting (laughs) that up. But that's not what a button box is. That's the name of the repair shop, right? Oh, diatonic accordion what's that mean the diatonic accordion also known as the button box okay hold on now i need to google diatonic accordion oh my god you know what sometimes i hate recording on zoom but we don't get to google all this stuff when we're on location so this is kind of fun okay diatonic button accordion a melodeon or diatonic button accordion is a member of the free read aerophone family of musical instruments It is a type of button accordion on which the melody side keyboard contains one or more rows of buttons with each row producing the notes of a single diatonic scale. 
the buttons on the bass side keyboard are most commonly arranged in pairs, with one button of a pair sounding the fundamental of a chord and the other the corresponding major triad or sometimes minor triad. So I was correct. It's buttons on both sides. That's all I needed to know. Yeah, but then we wouldn't have gone down this absolutely delightful rabbit hole. <laughs> all right. Well, we had no notes on track five, but we sure did chew up some time talking about track five. <laughs> well, was the subtitle of the song not button box? The clip I have from you says Lustige Harmonica Polka parentheses button box. Okay. Good thing we talked about it at the song. <laughs> but I couldn't find that note on anything that I printed. All right, I'm going to move on to track six, Schnitzelbank. Is das nicht ein Schnitzelbank? Ja, das ist ein Schnitzelbank. Is das nicht ein Kürzenlang? Ja, das ist ein Kürzenlang. Kürzenlang, Schnitzelbank. So schnitzelbank. Ah, schnitzelbank. It sounds like a swear word, doesn't it? If you stub your toe. Oh, schnitzelbank. So schnitzelbank is my second favorite song on the album. That's the first thing I want to say. Mine too. So we matched one and two today. Yeah. And we're not going to match three. But schnitzelbank literally means scrap bench or chip bench from the word schnitzel for scraps or clips or cuttings and bonk, which means bench. And so this was a woodworking tool that was used in Germany prior to the Industrial Revolution. And it was used by wood artisans to carve. And it actually became a thing over here in the Appalachian region until the early 20th century to use this huh. until things were automated. Another term for it here in America is the shaving horse. And I found a picture of it. It's a very bizarre looking thing. But it's also a word for a short rhyming verse or song with a humorous content. So again, going back to your, oh, I think this is for children. Not really. So usually the jokes escalate as you go through the song. So you can hear even in the German lyrics, the kind of callback. It's almost like the, I met a crooked man who had a crooked house and he had a crooked cat or, oh my, the lady in the fly or whatever those stories are where they keep building on it and backing up. Yeah. This song functions like that. So some of the translated lyrics I have here, isn't that a pair of pants? Yes, that is a pair of pants. Is that underwear from France? Yes, that's underwear from France. <laughs> pair of pants, shorts from France, Otto's gut, Otto's butt, blah, blah. <laughs> and that's how the song works. And so the lyrics are a little bit humorous and racy as it escalates through the song. And you can hear that in the German. You can hear the kind of call and repeat right. pattern to it. You just have no idea what they're saying. And it took me a long time to track these lyrics down. But it was my second favorite song well before I tracked down the lyrics because I like that pattern. I could tell yeah. there was a pattern to the music that I really, really liked. Yeah, I agree with that. I looked at the lyrics pretty early and I wanted to look up what this type of song is called because it brought to mind a couple that you mentioned, including, you know, the old lady who swallowed a fly. It's called a cumulative song. And perhaps the most well-known cumulative song is, can you guess? I'll probably know it when I hear it. 
the 12 days of Christmas. Oh, of course. Of course. But the one that it immediately made me think of is a song from one of the very special Christmas collections that you have um, by Natalie Merchant called Children Go Where I Send Thee. It's like one for the baby Jesus, yes. two for the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> like it goes on and on like that. So that's what it made me think of. So just for your own musical knowledge, that is what that type of song is called. Very cool. Again, what was interesting was I could tell that was going on without knowing what they were singing yes well the lyrics are clearly repetitive even if you don't know what the lyrics are you know what you've heard before and you can pick it up pretty easily when it's only two or three verses you know oh i heard that before and then it becomes easier to realize in the later verses that they're adding on this was also my second favorite for pretty much the same reason and i you know i sang along to the schnitzel bonk that's the one word i was able to recognize and sing throughout the song it's an easy melody you know it feels familiar. It's interesting that that word could mean those two diverse things, a shaving horse and a repetitive song. Well, okay, but schnitzel is interesting because that implies that wiener schnitzel is just like the leftover bits of meat, right? Yes. Yeah. But did you know that? I didn't know that before this. This is why we needed somebody of German descent, real German descent, not <laughs> my my German descent to explain it. So I'm going to sufa. Sufa. Eins, zwei, drei. So far. So we can move on to the next track, which is track number seven, cleverly called E-I-E-I-O. So I looked forever to try to find some information about exactly what is going on here, and I could find <laughs> nothing. Every time I put E-I-E-I-O into the Google, I got referred to Old MacDonald or some history of farm songs, mm -hmm. but I could find no information about the German beer hall song E-I-E-I-O. So I don't know if this was a predecessor. I don't know if this is somehow related and the melody has changed over time. I don't have any information about the song. I like the song. I think it's funny, but no information. I'm a low information show producer at this moment. My apologies. I designated this my least favorite song. That probably is mostly my fault as an instance of high expectations that weren't met. <laughs> I. You just assumed it was going to be Old McDonald. Yes, but I expected us to get some education on what noises these animals make in German, right? So we know that obviously animals make the same sounds the whole world round. But our words for those sounds are different based on what language we're speaking. So pigs wouldn't say oink in German. I don't know what they would say, but it likely wouldn't be oink. And cats don't say meow and dogs don't say arf, arf, you know, whatever. 
So I saw the title E-I-E-I-O and I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to get old McDonald. We're going to learn what all these animals say in German. It's going to be so fun. And we simply did not. And for that reason, it is my least favorite song. (laughs) I had high hopes. I had high hopes for this Well, I thought maybe I was going to learn that this old McDonald's song that we all sung as children had some historical origins in German beer hall music or earlier. You know, it could be a public domain version of a song from German tradition that ultimately as Germans immigrated here, maybe that was where old McDonald came from. And I didn't get any of that. As a song, as a freestanding song, I understand your disappointment with what you're talking about. But as a freestanding song, I think this is a better song than Ein Prosit. Sure. No, it is a fun song. I like how they modulate the key a little bit in the middle. They switch keys, which is really fun. It's an easy song to sing, obviously. It's just a bunch of letters, which is nice because I like knowing that I can sing along to one of these German Oktoberfest songs. It just wasn't what I was expecting, unfortunately. And I think personally, if you're going to market a song called EIE, in the United States, uh, that's on you. I don't think Jimmy Horsen was worried about marketing this in the United States. <laughs> and I also think that your quote unquote, I think this is a children's album, might come from just this song title alone. Well, no, this and the vocal tons that we're going to get in a minute. And also the medley. The medley has lots of children's tunes in it. I think you should stop giving away the future. I'm so sorry. Don't get ahead of yourself. However, I guess we should move on to song eight now that you brought it up, which is, by the way, misspelled on the album cover. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Oh. Yeah, because you can't find Vogeltons when you look it up, but you can find Vogeltons. Oh. 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 <laughs> I'm telling you, man, the Pops on Hops research team was on fire. You dug deep. I did dig deep. Anyway, the next song, track number eight, is Volgrotons. <laughs> So what we all know here as the chicken dance has a long and sordid history. Oh, really? Well, it's actually a fairly modern song, originally recorded in the 50s, or I should say written and sung in the 50s, under its original title, Der Ententanz, or the Duck Dance. Oh, the Duck Dance! (laughs) By the Swiss accordionist Werner Thomas. And he used to play it in restaurants and hotels in the 50s and 60s. And during one of his performances... A Belgian music producer heard it and wrote some additional lyrics to it and released it in 1970. And it was not a hit. That's a shame. But between 1980 and 82, it became a very famous worldwide hit and was recorded in many different countries. So it had like this second life 
And it's been recorded as, as I said before, their ententance, which is the duck dance, T-chip, T-chip, vulgar tons, the bird song, the chicken song, the birdie song, the bird dance, dance de canard, el bol de los parajitos, oh. el ballo de qua qua. Check out the chicken or dance little bird. So it's been recorded in many countries by many, many different groups. Now, I used to associate it with, for whatever reason, Italian weddings. I don't know. But it's a very classic and famous wedding song, obviously. However, one of the most common places it's played is at American Oktoberfests that feature live band performances. Who knew? And without lyrics, with the hand and body gestures performed, and then the four hand claps. And then people yelling, we want more beer after the hand claps or during the hand claps. <laughs> so most traditionally at Oktoberfest, it's much like what you just heard. It's an instrumental without lyrics. The lyrics got tagged on in the 70s and then became a phenomenon all its own. But it is really spelled vulgarl tanz with an R in it, V-O-G-E-R-L-T-A-N-Z. And the R is missing on the CD cover. Write this down. Yeah. Because when we talk to Jimmy Horzen, we're going to go. Uh, missing R? Missing R in vulgarl tanz? Question mark. Question mark. Yes. We need to know. No one is safe, Mr. Horzen. Yeah, nope, we're coming after you, Horson. We're coming after you. So that's the chicken dance, the duck dance, the birdie dance, the dance of a thousand parrots, whatever all those things were that I read. <laughs> the Il Ballo del Quaqua. Is that the ballad of the quack quack? What is that? It must that, be, right? What does that translate into? Il Ballo del Quaqua. I think you're probably right. I, I'm just making stuff up at this point because uh, I can. Because that's what we do here. We wildly speculate. We only have. Dare I say three songs left, and we have to get to this last beer. So I'm going to sufa the final sip of the Hocker Shure Oktoberfest Marzen and give it a rating. How about you? Sufa. Man, that's a full boot you got there. I know. How did that happen? All right. So I'm going to rate the Hocker uh, Shure with a, also a three and a half. I liked it slightly better, but because I don't have tents, because as you know, despite the fact that I read all of our description today from an untapped blog. We know darn right well that they are showing us no love. Untapped, why don't you sponsor us? Someday untapped. Someday. <laughs> so I'm going to give that one a three and a half. I would probably give that a three six compared to the other one at a three five. But it's certainly not high enough up that I would give it a three seven five. Yeah, and I like it marginally less than the first one we had, but not a quarter point less as suspected. So I am also going to give it a 3.5. Yeah, these are going to be in a tight range. So now we're pulling out the Polaner Munchen Oktoberfest Marzen. Munchen. It's really going to have to dazzle me. Well, it is the ninth best uh, Oktoberfest <laughs> beer. <laughs> According to the untapped blog. You know what they say, I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. That's sort of like our podcast. I know. I've been saying that for years. Well, years since we started. <laughs> well, it has been years at this point. It's almost two. Yeah. But I get that all the time. The people who listen to us regularly really like it. Oh, yeah. We're for sure nine people's favorite thing. I can name them. Yeah, me too. Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately, I can name <laughs> our favorite folks. What? I'm having my first sip of this, and I, it's um, 9, 15, 20. I don't know how you distinguish them. I would 
call this slightly sweeter than the last one. It doesn't have the dry end of it, I guess. It's less, I used roasty, which is probably too strong a board even last time. This one's less of that. There's a caramelly quality to it. Yes. A little bit. Yes. It's not quite as bready, but as far as is that going to propel it to a 375? Probably not. These are all within a pretty tight range. Yeah. On my rating thing. So I didn't pour this into my boot. What? Because my boot is still occupied with the hacker shore. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Got to take things a little more slowly. Didn't you buy a pair of boots? I do have a pair of boots. You're going to make me go downstairs? And no, no, no. Boot? I'm just saying, don't they normally come in a pair? They are boots. Do they know. normally come in a pair? Boots? Yeah, but not boots. Not drinking <laughs> boots. <laughs> You know what I had? I almost brought it out to show you. I was in Solvang, California with mom and it was in some like a watch shop. Is that the like Netherlands city? Yes. It's the place with all the windmills. Yeah. It's back behind Santa Barbara. The town makes no sense. It's got- What do you mean? <laughs> the sense that you go there and it's like a touristy town in the mountains and it's got windmills and- knickknack shops and all this kind of weird stuff anyway we go into a clock repair shop that's got a million cuckoo clocks and clocks all over the place it's just what you would expect right wooden clocks that's fun and the only thing i buy is a little metal device that you could put on a bottle of beer that functions like the top of a beer stein can you picture what i'm saying do i have to go get it to show you yes just bear with me for one second okay. i have to run to the kitchen i'm not going to pause it <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to put this on a planner bottle. Maybe I'll take a picture of it. So I'm in this shop and they just have, you know, I'm looking for a little souvenir stuff. And I've never seen this. I'm going to hold it up so you can see what it looks like. See, it's metal and it's got the lid. Oh, like a, like a yeah. So what you do is you put it on the neck of the bottle and you go. That's really fun. You found that in a cuckoo clock shop? Yeah. Kind of random. In uh, Solvang, California. What's the point of that thing? Well, it's just a joke to make. You could turn any bottle of beer into a beer stein. I know, but why do steins have that to begin with? Oh, I think to keep the bugs out. Oh, the bugs. Of course, the bugs. Yeah, have you ever looked at a glass of beer when you're sitting outside and there's you, you have to decide whether you're going to bother to remove the bugs or just drink it? Can't say I have. Can't say I have. You haven't lived in South Jersey. Some of those bugs are big, too. It's like, that bug's a meal. Lightning bugs drowned and he's upside down and his lights flashing. It's an oh, ugly scene. Yeah, but they're tasty and they have a little crunch to them. Oh, ew. They're full of lean protein. All right, let's move on to track nine. Track nine is called Medley. And I'm not going to read the whole long title that's on the CD because it goes on forever. And it's a lot of German. It's a lot of German and you don't want to hear me butcher that again. So let's just go with this is the Medley, track nine. Thank you. 
So similar problem to when you had the Weird Al medley when we were doing the Weird Al album last spring. How do you pick a clip? Right. Because there's five or six songs. Some are recognizable melodically, like, oh, I kind of, maybe I know this, maybe I don't. But they're all beer hall songs. When you look up the individual titles, you can find information on the individual titles. I didn't go through that exercise. I did enjoy this. It is one of the two longer songs on the album. Yeah. This is probably coming in at number five for me. This is my third favorite. For similar reasons, I'm pretty sure I picked Weird Al's Medley as one of my top three as well. You did, I know. I really like medleys for the same reason I like mashups. I enjoy hearing songs blend into each other. And that's the same reason I really enjoy my headmistress-dum of the Abigail Hummel School of Speaking Smartly About Music. I enjoy hearing what similarities other people hear in songs and the way they mash them together or combine them to bring those similarities out. So I had fun with this one. I appreciated that it was of a similar length to the other songs on the album. You know, it didn't go on forever, but we got quite a few different melodies in there. The main one I recognized was the more we get together, the happier we'll be. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the official title of that song is, but that's another one that made me think, you know, it's childlike. That's like a nursery rhyme. Yeah, I appreciated this song very much. I noticed you didn't really do an Abigail Hummel School of Speaking Smartly About Music segment today. Did none of these songs make you think of... <laughs> <laughs> well, genuinely, I was going to play that Natalie Merchant song that I brought up with Schnitzelbank. And then I was like, eh, maybe that's a bit obscure. It's not that the songs sound alike. It's that they're the same style of song. I didn't think that was a close enough connection to actually submit the song to the Abigail Hummel School of Speaking Smartly About Music. But you notice I, I did bring it up by name so i i know but i don't feel like you have to submit to the school you're the headmistress as you just suggested so you should just be able to pull from your vast wealth of musical knowledge and make whatever connection you want that's true that's true but what do they say publish or perish so i have to continually be thinking of new connections to draw lest i lose my status i had nothing on this one it's hard it's hard i mean the two connections would be weird al and children's songs nursery rhymes right i'm fascinated you keep going back to that nursery rhyme thing because so much of this is either dirty jokes or drinking i don't know yeah no i i, I understand <laughs> i think what i mean though is like simple lyrics repetitive melodies but that is what you want when you're drinking right you don't want to remember anything complicated you just want to be able to yell ein schwein sufa netzelbank so that was track nine, the medley, which I think we both enjoyed. Moving on to, we have two tracks left, and you've got a lot of beer in that boot. Not so much. Moving on to track 10, Ludwig's Polka. So it's a polka about Ludwig. Do we think this is the same Ludwig aforementioned as the founder of Oktoberfest? Or the king whose wedding was celebrated yes, by the original that's Oktoberfest? That's what I meant. That's the only connection I could find, honestly, was that 
it had something to do with that king. I did a lot of looking. It's hard with these polkas and waltzes to find any origin story on them. They seem to be ancient. And then you kind of find a connection. Ooh, was this written by Strauss about something? And then I'd find that clip on YouTube and play the song all excited like I made the connection. That would be a completely different song. So you can search for days on this and not find any origin story on these polkas and waltzes. So I like it. It's exactly what you expect to come out of an accordion when you see that it's going to be a polka or a waltz. But trying to find who wrote it or what the origin is, almost impossible. To me, this sounds like the song that they play while you're in line to get your beer. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's not as like raucous as some of the other songs on this album, but it's still plenty upbeat, but it has more to me of an anticipatory sound, like we're waiting for the festivities to begin, as opposed to we have our beer and we're shoofing or whatever, zoofing, <laughs> zufa. Zufa. Well, I would disagree only in the sense that if you put people on a dance floor with this song, it'd be an up-tempo dance, like a square dance kind of. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be a slow waltzy kind of song so while it may be in the middle a little bit it seems more upbeat and more kind of party music than some of the really slower waltzes even the waltzes that are on this are kind of quick tempo there's nothing on here you think of as a traditional one two three waltz yeah i think it's fun this is one when you play it you can really get a sense of both sides of the accordion mm. the fact that there's the chord side and then there's the note side yeah i shall have to go back and listen to it with that in mind by the way at some point i was telling you about the musicians on here and i got interrupted i didn't finish that remember i was talking about jimmy horzen on yes. recording and button box we did that whole thing Oh, yeah, we did that whole thing. So the reason I brought it up... When <laughs> Please I tell me up, more about the button box. <laughs> I don't want to know anything more about the button box, but <laughs> I did want to say that the only other instruments on here, so Martin Gross plays guitar and bass guitar, and then Gary Trumet, or Trum Trumet, T-R-U-M-E-T, plays tuba, baritone, and vocals. Only tuba appears on here. It doesn't identify sousaphone. It only says tuba. Got it. So play that clip again that we just played, because I want to hear the instrumentation on that just briefly. We don't have to play the whole clip. Okay. But listen for the two parts of the accordion in this. High contention is in that piece of music that you hear the two sides of the accordion. I agree. And then the tuba. That's really all that's in that song, right? The accordion and a horn. Yeah. So it's two instruments making what appears to be three different tracks, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So that's track 10, Ludwig's Polka. And then we wrap the album up with track number 11, The Bauer and House Waltzer.
I think this is a great closing track. Yeah. It is slower. It is a waltz, one, two, three waltz kind of thing. Can't put it anywhere else on the album, right? For sequencing the album because it is slower. Mm-hmm. It belongs here. And it just takes you out in a very mellow way. Yeah. But you can see the difference between this and the previous song when you were saying about, oh, this is the waiting in line for beer song. Maybe, but it is at least quicker. This one is leaving the tent. The festivities are over. We're leaving the tent. But we still want to keep our spirits jolly. This is everybody left in the tent at the end of the party. They put the slow songs on for all the old married couples because everybody else has left the party. And finally, the song that you suggested for the band gets played. Oh, this sounds an awful <laughs> lot like a wedding we were both at recently. Very specific, Stuart. Something that may or may not have happened recently where we were told to give the band suggestions and <laughs> several people suggested the same song. We never the heard same it. same song! And nobody would tell anybody what the song was. And then the only person left at the wedding was you because everybody else left. And as you were leaving, they finally played the song that everybody requested because... It's, it's a slow dance. probably the last song they played. They didn't play a whole lot of slow dances once the band got going. Right. They played the first dance, the father-daughter dance. And then once they did the horror, all bets were off. Yeah, all bets were off. The horror like, got the party going and it simply did not stop. Right. So if you requested a slow song, you were... You were SOL. SOL, right? And so... Nobody heard it, except maybe you on the way out to the car. Very sad. I was going to say, in this song, I really heard the two tracks of the accordion very well. It's the only instrument, right? In this clip that you picked, especially, it sounds like it was harmonizing with itself. That's what made me realize what was going on. I think that's how that instrument's designed, right? Yeah. If you're going to play sustained chords on one side and note plucking on the other side, but none of it's going to be bass tones, it is harmony. It's sort of like lead guitar and rhythm guitar playing against each other if you remove the bass and drums. Mm -hmm. They both have to find their space to drive the song forward, and that's sort of what happens here. Right. So when you watch this clip that I pulled, that I'm going to put up on the webpage of this woman playing... You know, she goes, well, I'm going to start off with something and I'm just going to warm up. And she plays basically the most complicated piece of music you've ever seen. <laughs> like, like it's Flight of the Bumblebee on the accordion. As a warm up. <laughs> and you look at it, you're like, that's the warm up? Where are we going now? That's hilarious. You can watch her function with two halves of her brain. You can almost see it cooking. Mm. Because she's playing both hand pieces, but you're playing two different things simultaneously. Yeah. And she is classically trained at this. And you watch this, which it pretty much effortlessly do this. And you're like, I don't know sometimes when I'm typing, I have to think about what to do after my left finger hits a key to where my right finger is going to go as I'm pecking on a keyboard. And she's got the buttons on one side. But it looks like a piano keyboard on the other side. She's controlling the air and she's making all these decisions in the moment. My head hurts watching this. So much of it has to be muscle memory because the thing you said about typing was interesting. I have my password for my computer at work is just a string of letters, both capital and lowercase numbers and symbols just a random string because that's the most secure and like i memorized it but i couldn't tell you what it is i can only unlock my keyboard with it because the hand movements i have muscle memory but if you remove like let's say i just got back from lunch or i'm like eating a snack and i have food dust 
on this thumb and this finger. I can figure out how to type without these two fingers. Like I can type an email without using these two fingers, but I can't type my password without these two fingers because it's entirely stored in the muscle memory of my hands. So it has to be that. I can't imagine. When I used to play Guitar Hero, that's entirely muscle memory. I did the best at Guitar Hero when I was completely zoned out and not paying attention to what was happening on the screen. So I imagine it has to be the same way for... Well, for anyone who plays any type of instrument, really, like a lot of it is muscle memory. So if you eat Cheetos, you're locked out of your computer. No, I just have to go wash my hands <laughs> like a normal human being. Is that all you took away from that? That was all I got out of it. It's like, oh, if she eats flaming hot Cheetos, she's locked out of her computer. You're not wrong. The other thing about muscle memory is if I get yelled at one more time by a Gen X or a Gen Z about putting two spaces after a period. I'm oh, gonna... well, you just need to train yourself out of that. No, you can't. It's like having no. Cheeto dust on your fingers. No. I trained myself out of it. You taught me how to type with two spaces between sentences. I trained myself out of it. Yeah, you're 30 years younger than I am. But it's true. Every time I am asked to like edit something from my boss or another older person who I work with, I have to find and replace all the double spaces between sentences. It drives me absolutely batty. In what? The show notes? <laughs> the show notes. There's a lot of that. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Well, that wraps up the album. I got to tell you, I had a lot of fun listening to it. I'll definitely play it again, mostly in October. While drinking beer. <laughs> but only if I drink beer from the six main breweries yes. that can make an Oktoberfest beer. Like the other day, I had one from Three Sons. Can't do it. Can't play this with that because, you know, that's a cheat. Even though Jimmy Horzen is a Slovenian-American who wrote an Oktoberfest album with German lyrics. Uh-huh. But you drinking a German-inspired American beer isn't worthy of the music? I think we have to go visit Mr. Horzen up in Sanford and see what they're serving where he's playing. That may be the secondary list. If it's good enough for Jimmy Horzen's performance, it's good enough for me. <laughs> You're a Horzen purist, I guess. I am a Horzen purist. <laughs> Whatever that means. Is that like a Schwinzelbank? What was it? Schnitzelbank? <laughs> a Horzen purist? <laughs> <laughs> that one word, Horzen purist. What's your religion? Oh, I'm a Horzenian, actually. I think it's time to rate the number ninth rated Oktoberfest beer on the untapped list, the Polaner Oktoberfest Marzen. I'm going to say, I think they did get incrementally better. But because I don't have 20ths, they're all going to be a 3.5 for me. They're all what I expected. They're all fine. They're all easy to drink. They all would go great with you know, tasty food choices where you don't want the beer to disrupt you, but none of them stands out like, oh, this is spectacular compared to the other two. I think they're all in the same ballpark. So I'm going three, five across the board with these today. Not to be boring, but I'm going to do the same. I think this one falls between the other two for me. The wine Stefaner, wine Stefaner being my favorite of the three. Oh, wow. And the Hacker Shore being my least favorite of the three. But the differences were so marginal that they're all going to get three fives. And all I have to say now is I really, really just want a bratwurst. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about a giant Bavarian pretzel with lots of mustard. With mustard. Yum. And the fourth beer that we bought that we're not going to drink today would wash that down just nicely. So I guess it's that time of the episode where I get to give you an album. Yes. So I'm still in North Carolina. Not currently in my timeline. <laughs> you, you always say that and it always throws me off every time. This is a Jack Cornell recommendation. 
Of course. And the reason that he recommended this album to me was, as you know, if you go back and listen to the Jack Cornell episode, uh, he was in a band called The Woods that had played for a while as the Woodpeckers with Dan Baird, who went on to form the Georgia Satellites. And when Dan Baird was at the Georgia Satellites, he recorded one of Terry's songs, one of Jack's writing partner's songs called Battleship Chains. So at the time, Jack said, you want to hear a good version of Battleship Change, you should pick this album up because it was covered on this album called Hindu Love Gods by Hindu Love Gods. It's a self-titled album from about 1990. And the story on the Hindu Love Gods we'll get into detail with next time, but it consists of Warren Zevon. Of Werewolves of London fame. Of, of Werewolves of London fame, right. Solo artist Warren Zevon. His backup band for the album were the members of R.E.M. with the exception of Michael Stipe. So think R.E.M. backing Warren Zevon. It's the Hindu love gods. And it is just so much fun. But it's going to be very bluesy. It's going to be sort of in the vein of the uh, Black Crows. Roadhouse blues. Yeah. Let's use the term roadhouse blues again. So that's it. Hindu love gods. 1990s uh, album by Hindu love gods. It's short. It's quick. It's fast and furious. So. Be careful on your beer selection because there's only 10 tracks. We don't need a tall boy situation. Noted. Well, I'm very excited to listen. And in the meantime, if you need more of us, you can find us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at popsonhopspod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you. Or you can visit our very cool website, popsonhopspod.com, where we have photos, videos, and other materials related to each of our bi-weekly episodes, as well as our virtual jukebox, where you can submit an album for consideration and possibly appear on the podcast at a later date and on behalf of hops and pops we'll see you next time ein schwein prost zwei <laughs> I did hear a rumor that in Minchin Stettein Hofbrei House that we could go to. Say that again. <laughs> in Minchin Stettein Hofbrei House. You know, yeah, I think next time we do Stettein Hofbrei House. How about next time we do an episode with foreign music? We actually learn how to read the names. <laughs>